It's 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent of the, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God, not, has God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and, Greek, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Great, thank you, Naomi. I'd like to pray before uh, I preach, so can I pray? And then we will uh, we'll look at that passage a bit more. God, we, um, we, want to, we want to see you today. We want to know you. And so we ask that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see and behold you. Amen. Right, let me introduce you to um, Jerome this week. Jerome. Jerome is a regular brummy. Uh, he thinks that he probably believes in God, but he is not sure. And actually, fact, he thinks that you probably can't be sure about something like God. You can't really know anything for sure. There's just too many options out there. And nobody's really able to go and road test them all, so no one can really know. What, what he is sure about is that he doesn't really know what God is like if God is there. I mean, he guesses if God's there, he must be powerful, he must be good and kind, but he's not that sure about it. It's just kind of a guess, really. And when Jerome is in a, a, a tight spot, occasionally he will pray. Um, he thinks, well, there's no harm done in that. And, and he grew up kind of going to church a couple of times a year, so he's kind of He's kind of heard prayers before, and he kind of knows how that works. Church never really connected with him. God always seemed quite distant and, and kind of remote and hard to relate to. But he kind of figures when he's in a spot of bother, why not fire up a prayer? Uh, recently, he went to, to a wedding of a Sikh friend of his in a Gurdwara. And he loved it. He loved the different perspective that they had on God and on life and, and the different cultural things that went on. It was really eye-opening and enjoyable for him. And so he's kind of got this hunch that kind of all religion and all claims about God, well, they're probably all right, you know, they've probably all got different elements of, of the truth in them in some kind of mysterious way. And, and it's kind of, you can kind of take your influences from where you like and learn a little bit from here, there and everywhere. It's kind of an eclectic music taste type of thing, just eclectic belief system. Now, if you ask Jerome about Jesus, then, then he would say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher believe he existed, and, and his, his death is inspiring, isn't it? That's about as far as it goes. 
And although Jerome um, wouldn't have set, hasn't kind of consciously thought it or said it out loud, this is what's going on in his heart. He kind of thinks that God hasn't got much to offer him. He's a millennial in 21st century Birmingham. God's kind of this outdated idea from history. He hasn't got much to say to his life today. These are two little phrases that he lives by. This is kind of Jerome's motto for life. Variety is the spice of life. So he loves just getting different experience and he likes traveling, seeing different cultures and trying different food and meeting different people and, and, and he enjoys that diversity. Variety is the spice of life. And the other one is YOLO. You only live once. Live for the day. Seize the day. Make the most of the moment. He's looking for the best life he can get. He's not looking for a religious life. He's looking for the best life. And so God seems pretty irrelevant to what Jerome wants from life. I don't know if Jerome might describe you. Might describe you. He certainly describes a whole load of your friends, at least in some way. What does the cross of Christ say to someone like Jerome? This is, if you like, the, the title of, of this talk today. I don't think I can know God. That's what Jerome says. I don't, I don't really think I can know God. To which the response is, Jesus is God's revelation. Jesus is God's revelation. This, this series of, of sermons is called Death by Love. Those of you who were here last week uh, would be familiar with this. How the cross of Christ changes our lives. Now, now the cross, Jesus' death, is all about this big idea of atonement. How sinful people and a pure God are made one, are made friends, at one moment. But what we want to do is we explore that idea of how we're made friends with God is to see actually what difference does that make in life. What impact does that have? How does that change things? And so what we're doing is we're looking from a different angle each week at the cross of of Christ. And we saw last week that it's a bit like this expensive diamond, that when you look from a different angle, you just see different uh, elements of beauty and, and the light kind of refracts in different ways. And so as we look from a different angle at the cross each week, we're going to see its beauty and its worth. And each angle is a big word, and, and uh, a big word with a simple meaning. And our big word with a simple meaning this week is the idea of revelation. Revelation. And this is, uh, the definition for these purposes is, revelation is God showing us what he is like. Pretty simple, isn't it? God showing us what he is like, but with a purpose that he might start a new relationship with us. You see, the cross of Christ, Jesus dying on the cross, is the centerpiece of God's revelation to us. It is the heart of God showing us what he is like. You know, when we think of the idea of revelation, you often think of like that kind of surprise, that, that big reveal moment where something you didn't know, you know, you open the present and, and surprise, it's revealed what's inside, or you open the envelope and surprise. That's exactly what we see with God's revelation. There's this surprise in it, this amazing and beautiful thing that we see when God reveals himself to us. So the first thing uh, that we need to see in revelation, in the revelation of God, is that we 
do and we can know God. See, this is the idea. At the cross, Jesus shows us what God is like. At the cross, Jesus shows us what God is like. Now you think, how are you going to convince someone like Jerome, who says, well, I don't really think I can do know God or can know God. How are you going to convince someone like him that actually at the cross, Jesus does show us what God is like? I need to, you need to bear with me here because I've got these kind of four steps of kind of logic, which is kind of how my mind works. I know it's not how everyone's mind works. So it's okay if the next five minutes or so it, it passes you by. I'll, I'll tell you when to come back in. Um, but if you can stick with me, I think it's helpful. I, I certainly find that helpful. This is how we go from not, I can't know God, and there's nothing that we can know about God to say, no, Jesus shows us at the cross, God. Follow, follow this. This is from the Bible. The first one is this. To know God, he has to reveal himself to us. That means we can't work out God by ourselves. It's something that has to be shown to us. I think that seems pretty obvious. But it's not necessarily obvious to everyone. In the Bible, in Isaiah 55, this is what God says. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, speaking to people. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The point is this, God is up there, his ways, his thoughts, his being is up there, and we are down here, and there is this gulf, in this gulf in greatness, and in thoughts, and in ways, and in quality. And most of us think we've got to bridge that chasm by getting up to God. And most religion and philosophy is people trying to figure out what God is like. But that's not how it works. As I-55 says, there's this chasm. And it goes on to say, what God says is, my word comes out from my mouth and comes down. My word comes down from heaven to earth. And God's word shows us who God is, shows us what God is like. His word achieves his purposes in the world. And so knowledge of God, knowing God, only comes from God revealing himself to us. What we need to do is we need to tune in to the right frequency, if you like, to hear God. We also need to watch God. Here's the second thing. See, isn't it just God reveals himself by his words, but also by his acts, by his actions? Um, many of you will be able to remember the story of Exodus in the Bible, where Moses goes to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, on behalf of the Israelites, God's people, and says to Pharaoh, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Do you remember what Pharaoh the king says in response to that? He says this, he says, who is the Lord that I should let this people go? Who is this God? And what Moses comes back with from God is not a, well, let me describe God to you. He's a bit like this. Let me explain what he's like. Let me give you some philosophy so you can understand this God I'm talking about. No, what Moses comes back with is, God will show you who he is. And what follows are the ten plagues of Egypt. 
as God shows Pharaoh and shows Egypt over and over who he is and what he's like, at every point showing he's greater than the gods of Egypt. See, God shows himself by how he acts, not only by his words. And so that makes sense of the next step uh, down, and that's that God's revelation is complete in Jesus Christ. If you like, here's the ultimate act of God. He is God in action in the world. The, the Bible says this about Jesus, the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He looks like God. He's the revelation of God. Uh, elsewhere, uh, someone writes that God has spoken by Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is exactly like God. He exactly represents the being of God. And so Jesus is talking to his friends at one point, and they say, Jesus, can you show us God? And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I, you look at me, you see God. Now listen, this is an incredible and a unique claim, isn't it? It is unique. Jesus says, I show you God. I show you what God is like. Make no mistake, no one else makes that claim, at least not seriously. Nobody else tries this. Some people have claimed that they've received divine revelation or enlightenment from God and passed it on. So Muhammad claims that the, the words fell from Allah out of heaven to him and, he, and he's passed it on. Or, or Joseph Smith claims that he received these golden tablets that revealed the truth and they've disappeared now mysteriously, but he can pass that on. Sorry, that was low, but it's fair. Or Buddha, this moment of clarity under the tree. And he passes on this kind of enlightenment and divine wisdom. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? Jesus says, I am the divine revelation of God. I am the divine revelation of God. So listen, if, if you or your friend wants to explore God or go on this journey or path to understand or get to know God. It makes an awful lot of sense to start with Jesus. Because his claims just stand out there alone. His claims are mutually exclusive. And so why don't you at least start with him or encourage your friends to start with him? Because if you go to Jesus, check him out and you think, no, he hasn't really got it, then sure, go elsewhere. But if you go to Jesus, you check him out and you think, actually, he has got it. Well, that's exactly what he claims. It makes sense to start with the one who's got the guts to make the most outrageous and biggest claims about showing God to people. And here's the, the last step that we need to make. is that the center of Jesus' revelation about God is his death on the cross. So we're kind of honing in, right? We're kind of zooming in and we're getting straight to this event in history cross of Christ. The Bible repeatedly speaks of Jesus' cross as the place that God demonstrates and shows his characteristics, shows us what he is like. So when people write a story of Jesus' life, there's four of them in the Bible, they spend at least a quarter of their story on the last week of his life and his death. One of them, 42%, nearly half of the story is concerned with that. Because that is the center of where Jesus shows 
God to us. And there's this incredible thing. We saw it in Mark. We're going through Mark. That happens as Jesus dies on the cross. The man who executed Jesus, the man who killed him, sees and watches Jesus die. Do you know what he says? Surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man is the son of God. That's an incredible thing for a Roman executioner to say as he's just watched someone die. He's probably, I don't know, but my guess would be he had executed many people many times. And yet there was something different as he looks at the face of Jesus on the cross. He knows he's looking at the face of God. That's an incredible thing. But he got it. He got it. So at the cross, Jesus shows us what God is like. See, I think I'd say to someone like Jerome, you think you can't know God, and you think you don't know God, and you think there's no way to know God, well, come and look at Jesus and look at his death on the cross. See it, understand it, ask questions about it. See who, who God is and what he's like. Start here. I guess a, a reasonable question, um, a reasonable question would be, well, okay, well, what do we see when we look at Jesus on the cross? What is it that it shows us about God? Now, listen, this is where, if, if I did lose you of all of that, come back to me now, okay? This is the moment to really tune in. This is what I do not want you to miss. What is it that Jesus shows us about God by his death on the cross? Well, listen, there's loads. It's God, okay? There's quite a lot to show. In the next five minutes, I can never possibly hope to do that justice. But let's, let's let this guy help us. He's um, a French guy. 500 years ago, he uh, started lots of churches. John Calvin, he says this. For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theatre, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. The cross is like this stage on which God shows us, sets before us the incomparable goodness of himself. And we could see that in, in so many different ways. But let me just give you what I think are the three biggest ways. Firstly, we see the incomparable goodness of God in his justice. His perfect character displayed, his righteousness, his goodness, and his justice. We saw last week, didn't we, where how God's hatred and revulsion of evil and wrongdoing is expressed in there being a penalty for sin. We see God's justice in the cross. But secondly, we see his incomparable goodness of God in his love. The idea that we looked at last week of this, this, this penal substitution idea that Jesus willingly went to die to take the penalty for us. That was out of love for us. And so the Bible many times describes the cross as the demonstration of God's great love for us. It says that Jesus dying on a cross is how we know what love is. It is like it defines love for us. Thirdly, at the cross we see the incomparable goodness of God's glory. It's the place where God's beauty 
where his worth, where his value, where his perfection, his, his character kind of just shines out. His glory. As he saves sinners out of love. I think those are kind of the three like, big ticket things we see. God's justice, God's love, and God's glory. His incomparable goodness. But listen, I want us to see there's many, many other things that we see in the cross as well. There's so much more. In fact, as many things are as true about God, we will see them in the cross of Christ if we see it properly. And this is where, at last, we get to the Bible reading. (laughs) If you're here this week, we don't normally take this long to turn back to what we read. But if you can please look at page 1144. 1 Corinthians 1, from verse 18. See, this picks up two other things that we see in the cross about God. Uh, now, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul, an early Christian, is writing to Christians in Corinth, which is a town in Greece. And he says, if you look at verse 24, that the message of the cross that he preaches is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So at the cross, on display are God's power and God's wisdom. And this leads us into the second uh, big thing that I want us to see. Not only that at the cross we know God, but here's the important thing. That on top of that, at the cross, we experience God. We experience God. See, for someone like Jerome, the invitation of the cross isn't just to come and like be like, oh, here you can study God and learn more about God and find out some facts about him. Glory, love, justice, power, wisdom, etc. And there's these things you can understand. No, we saw with our definition of revelation at the beginning, God shows himself to us so that he might establish a relationship with us, so that he might save us. God reveals himself to us so we might experience God. So that we might have an encounter with God. See, at the cross, it's not just where Jesus defines God for us, but it's where we meet with God. We encounter God's justice. We encounter his love. We encounter his glory and his power and his wisdom. And this is how Jesus connects with all of us, but particularly with someone like Jerome. Because every person that is, that, is, um, that is not sure about God, and it's kind of a bit like, you know, kind of, oh, I'm not sure, maybe this, that, and the other. Well, what they still have is they still have these values that are really important to them. These values that kind of sit at the base of their life, that drive their life, that they live by, and that they, that they really live for. These things that give their lives meaning and purpose. Like everyone has that because we're humans, right? I think that's part of being human. And what someone like Jerome thinks, they think, well, if God's real, then I really want him to value the stuff that I really value, the stuff that's really important to me and, and that I'm basing my life on. And, and, and if God's real and he doesn't, I'd just be really disappointed with that. So, so Jerome, remember, he says variety is the spice of life and, and you only live once. And so that's really important to him. And so he's probably not going to be interested in God if he thinks that God's going to restrict his enjoyment of variety in life. 
Or he thinks God's just some kind of killjoy and just takes the fun out of life. Or, or this, this part of the Bible that we're reading, uh, these people in, in, in Corinth, some of them are Jews. And Paul knows what's going on with the Jews. They love power. That's like, that's a really base value for them. And that's because they're oppressed. They're an oppressed minority. They're victimized. And so they want a God of power who's going to come in and, and kind of flex some muscles and sort stuff out for them and deal with the Romans. But in Corinth, there's this other group of people. There's these Greeks. It's in Greece. So there's, there's kind of lots of people from the Greek backgrounds. And Paul knows that they love wisdom. You know, the Greeks are famous for kind of being real thinkers and philosophers, Plato and Socrates and these people like that. They kind of think a lot about things. And so they want God if he's there to be the cleverest, the, the smartest, the most intellectual and philosophical being that only the really smartest people can get to know. See, they love wisdom. I don't know what it might be for you, what your kind of core life values might be. It might be just this concern for the environment and, and for the climate and that all of life's got to kind of be gathered around really looking after the world because we're making a hash of it. Or it might be like radical inclusion of all people. That's a really high value for you. It might be you just want life to be as comfortable as possible. You want to be as rich as you can be. Have as much nice stuff as possible. You might just be happy if I can hold my family relationships together. It feels like stuff's fracturing. And... Or maybe you want to find a solution for the violence on our streets. Probably a mixture of these things, maybe others, these values that are very important to us. And we think, well, if God isn't bothered about this stuff, then I'm not bothered with him. And so these deeply held values that kind of reside in people's hearts, and often they don't say them out loud, but they're there in their lives, they become a reason, we think, to keep us away from God. But actually, 1 Corinthians shows us they are a point of connection we've got. These are the very things, these very values at the heart of our lives are the very points at which we can maybe come and connect with and encounter God. Now sure, they often have to be reshaped and redirected. But at the cross of Christ, we see a God who fulfills so many of those things, so many of those values and those things that we long for and we hope for. We see a God that delivers on them. They find their home and they find their completion in Jesus. And do you know why that is? Because we have been made in God's image. We've been made like God. And so our longings and our values so often reflect him and lead us back to him if we rightly understand them. Right, let, let me just try and unpack that for you uh, by looking at what happens in 1 Corinthians 1. Let's see what Paul does as he writes these people. He knows they love power and he knows they love wisdom. What does he do with those categories as he writes them? Well, firstly, power. Look at verse 23. Paul says his message is Christ crucified. Actually, I think he says it before then, doesn't he? Um, no, he says it in 23. We preach Christ crucified. And he said, that's hardly power, is it? That's hardly a power play. You've got this message of Christ crucified, this Jewish peasant who's got no political power, who has no army, no revolution, no significant influence. 
And there he is, he's naked, bloodied, beaten, torn to shreds, hanging limply and pathetically, quite frankly, dying on a cross. Meanwhile, those who are powerful are shouting insults at him, hammering the nails into his hands and his feet. That's hardly the power that if you're an oppressed Jew that you're looking for, is it? You're not drawn to a God that reveals power like that, I don't think. And yet Paul says this. This is the power of God. The power of God of whom, verse 24, his weakness is stronger than human strength. You see, this is the power of God because this isn't just the power to liberate some Jews in the first century from some Romans for a few years, just kind of a people group and make it better for them. No, this is the power to liberate billions of people from all across the world and right down through history, from every culture and language and nation. And to liberate them for eternity from the oppression of Satan and sin and death to everlasting life. This is the power of God for salvation. This is a power so much greater than the power that the Jews hungered after. You want power? Your ambitions are way too small. The cross of Christ is God's power. What about wisdom? Doesn't the message of Jesus seem so foolish? Doesn't it to you today? Have you ever tried to tell it to a friend? Who doesn't believe it? Do you not feel like a complete idiot? I do. Jesus was an uneducated man. He never wrote a book. He wasn't in the cultural centers of learning. He didn't have these international sellout kind of speaking tours. He stayed in a pretty small and insignificant part of the world. There was no internet around, so his message didn't spread like all over the place. And here he is, hung out to die on a cross. A young man not had many years, leaving a few family and friends who don't really get what he's about. We, we know that from when we read the Gospels. You're looking for wisdom? You're probably not going to come to Jesus on a cross to think you're getting the wisdom of God. But no, Paul says this is the wisdom of God. Verse 24, the God whose wisdom is wiser, the God whose foolishness is wiser than human Wisdom. This is the wisdom of God's. The wisdom of God's plan of salvation that can't just be got at by the elite, by the really smart and clever ones. No, God's plan of salvation is for all. The wisdom of God's that isn't connected to a particular culture or a time or people group or a language or a place, but finds expression in all times and places and languages and cultures. The wisdom of God that a small child, those little children up there, can grasp that wisdom this morning. And yet the greatest professor of our city can fail to get hold of it. This is the good news story of Jesus, which is the wisdom of God, the Son of God dying on a cross to save any who believe. See, you want wisdom? This is true wisdom, Jesus on a cross. What about Jerome? His love for variety and diversity at the cross is taken to new levels by the Bible's vision of how many cultures and languages and people are saved by Jesus' death 
uh, and this picture is that one day we will enjoy forever one another's variety and culture and difference and language. The diversity that is, that, that is beautifully seen and reflected in the salvation that Christ gives to be enjoyed for eternity. You want diversity? The cross shows the diversity of God. Or seeking life to the full. Well, Jesus says he gives his life up to death so that we may have life to the full. The cross is the fountain of the life of God. You see, Jerome, yeah, Jesus on the cross does connect to you. It's just what you're looking for, isn't it? For you, I don't know what it might be. You might have to be creative in how we think about this. But for those concerned with the environment, the cross is the agent of God renewing the whole creation. It is the radically inclusive message for all. It makes us rich beyond our wildest dreams as we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It brings peace that holds our families together and brings the end of violence on our streets as it transforms lives. So there's a lot of fun to be had in seeing how the cross of Christ resolves and completes our deepest longings. How they find their solution and their answer in Jesus. Now you might not go with me or believe what I say about Jesus, but do you not think that you want that to be the case? Isn't this the kind of God that you, you want to know? You want to be there? This is in no way irrelevant to our lives. See, the message of the cross is a big invitation to us all. It's the invitation from God. He says, come, know me and experience me and what I am like. The problem is that the values that we hold on to so tightly can keep us from coming to God. See, in, in verse 23 of our passage there, it says that the Jews stumble over the cross of Christ because it's not a power they expected or hoped for. Uh, and those who seek wisdom regard it as foolish. And so they don't actually come and receive the wisdom of God. You see, often someone like Jerome, it's not just, they would never say this, but it's not just that they think that they can't know God. But the truth is they don't want to know God. They're not interested. And that's because they've got a hunch that God is not bothered with them or what is important to them or what matters to them, that God can deliver on those things. Now, I'm not saying that God just delivers on all of the kind of desires that come out of our heart and that's whatever, but no, what, those desires do actually connect us to God in some ways because we see that we find their solution and their resolution in him. If we all let Jesus reshape those things, redirect them, the things that we most hope for, and long for, then we'll find he delivers in ways that we can only dream of. But what it takes is, it takes humility. It takes humility to let God show us the truth about himself. It takes humility to trust him and to believe in him. Now, what does that mean for you, particularly if, if you're a Christian? Let me just kind of give this, this thought to close. Um, we say on this, um, this banner here, our foundation is a church, it's part of our vision. Uh, and it says, uh, the foundation is the thing on which we stand, okay? It's the thing that kind of holds us up. The God of the Bible is real and we are a people loved in Jesus. 
You see, the God of the Bible is real. He is really there. We can know what he's like because he's shown himself to us in his word in the Bible, which tells us about Jesus and his cross. And so he's real and we can know him. The God of the Bible is real. And we are a people loved in Jesus. That's who we are. Christians in this church are people who have come to know him at his cross, to know and encounter and experience this God and his love for us. And experience the blessings of life, the life of God and life with God. So this morning ought to serve as a refreshing reminder for us as how God delivers on, delivers to us and delivers on our deepest needs and longings. You see, as those who have come to know God and experience God, we have fullness of life in him. We have it. And so what is good for us to do, the reason Paul was writing to these Christians in Corinth, encouraging them to do, is listen, hold on to, go back to, look again, see, appreciate in new and amazing ways this cross of Christ, the very centerpiece of our faith, this cross-shaped good news, that that is where we see, that is where we know who God is and what he's like, where we encounter God's love and his justice, and his power, and his wisdom, and his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You have not left us guessing. But in Jesus, you have come and shown us who you are, and you have reached out to us. Not just that we know in our heads, but we we know in our hearts and our lives we experience your goodness and your greatness. Lord, we're not left guessing about you. You've put it all out for us. Help each of us by faith to receive and take hold of the gift of life that you offer in Christ. We pray. Amen.